Hi, Jer. Hi, Kyle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Draw Without Dying, the show for artists who struggle. I'm Jer. I'm a software engineer who's been drawing comics since he was seven. And I'm Kyle. I'm a writer and artist with a flair for the melancholy. And we're here to talk about making art and enjoying art, especially indie art, here in the modern world. It's very difficult. It's not easy. <laughs> We are recording this live at my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Ironoki. Uh, if you want to join us, you can join us at 7 p.m. on Thursdays to be a part of the conversation or give my kitty cat treats. She has a cam of her own. Or just hang out. Or just hang out. Shall we begin? Let's shall. I have a story to tell. Okay. The other day, there was a little bit of a, uh, a Twitter conversation with uh, Doig Swift and, and, like the, and you know, the Doig Swift community where India Swift created a trio of stream icons. It was uh, the three parts of Sonic the Hedgehog if he were a worm. <laughs> it, is, it is Sonic Worm. So India Swift, fantastic artist, really fun streamer, internet goblin, <laughs> <laughs> painstakingly like, created this three-set icons uh icon series and then promptly began complaining about how cursed it was <laughs> which did its job and made everyone love it you know in its in its cursed glory this uh so it's 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 november 2023 and with the new month uh twitch likes to tell you um you know here's all here's your best uh, the the most used emote on your channel right and mm -hmm. um uh, the Doig Swift Twitter post pointed out that uh, the the most used icon, uh, the most used emote on their channel is the middle section of the worm. Just the middle <laughs> one. And uh -huh, so uh -huh. myself and and a bunch of the of the gang, Onsta Monsta and, you, you, you know, familiar faces, we're all just having a little conversation about it. I pointed out that like, well, yeah, of course, it's the middle one, because when you make a long worm. You're going to extend it with the middle one. So the middle one and you're always going to do the first and the last one the same number of times. The middle one has just got a high likelihood of being, uh, you know, used the most. Would have been real funny if the head was the the most used. <laughs> or the just, butt. Yeah. Actually, the butt would be funnier. <laughs> so it's just a little little internet moment. And, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm not a, a super good uh, Twitterer. But, you know, I, I you know, what I, the main thing I'm on Twitter for is to connect with folks that I've met on Twitch and, and you know, that sort of like level of, of internet friend and ha have those little like cute conversations like that. And then at the end of the chain, there was a, a stranger. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all covered. It's all people that we recognize. It's all it's this person that put it to get. Yeah, right. And then at the end, there was like a new person, and it was and and the, and the the post went. Um, hey, if you need any more icons, hit me up. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so it stood out. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I uh, looked into what had just happened. This is a person who is a commission artist who makes uh, Twitch emotes on, on commission and, and makes uh, money doing that. And she will notice when a conversation pops up about a particular stream talking about a particular uh, Twitch emote and saying like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I make those. Let me let me know if you need any. It was kind of the best and the worst at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was so obviously, oh, you just got here and don't know what we're talking about. But also harmless. Mm hmm. And and it wasn't the right crowd for that, and it wasn't the right moment, but that's a way to let people know that you're in business and for hire. And it was just this little, little, little bit right there. Somewhat respect the hustle. <laughs> Somewhat respect the hustle, yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So, self-promotion in general. <laughs> I, Kyle's going to talk a lot 
today because this is something I need to ramp up on because it makes me physically ill. I also need to ramp up on it because, mm. well, I'd say I, I respond less viscerally than you do. Mm. Like, it's still weird space magic to me, and it's probably always going to be weird space magic to me. But, you know, it's it's something I mess with, something I somewhat enjoy running experiments with, and something I found at least a little bit of success with, otherwise I wouldn't mm. still be in business. But it's, it's tricky, and... Here we go. <laughs> So tonight, we're not going to talk about how to self-promote. We've actually touched on that a couple of times already. Mm -hmm. The real focus we want to hit on tonight is being confident about it, kind of facing that anxiety around it, focusing on what your own plan is, how to be successful with it, and, and how to face it, how to, how to find it within yourself, how to summon the, the, the proper spiritual energy required to, to face down this particular weird space magic monster that we have to deal with. But yeah, the, that story you mentioned is like, unfortunately for a lot of people, including me, to a certain extent, the best way to, I can say the best way to get clients, but like, you do kind of need to be bold. You do need to reach out to people and you need to be direct so that they think of you and not about their problem hmm. generally. It reminds me, it reminds me a bit of uh, something uh, Kay Penguin had said before is, uh, in nature, fortune favors the bold. Mm. Uh, we were talking about pet training, dealing with kitty cats and, and, and doggos that have a hard time learning not to do something. Mm -hmm. Because in nature, in the wild, taking chances gets you food or dead. Mm -hmm. And if you're dead, you don't pass on that lesson. So it's much better to take the chance at maybe this will get me food. Mm-hmm. So here we are in the wilds of the internet with with goods and services we want to put out there. We have to take those chances. We have to find the confidence within ourselves to promote people, uh, pr promote ourselves to people in places. I'm not as good with social media. I handle social media like with many things very manic depressively. Mm -hmm. I'm either posting all the time or like never at all when it comes to getting commissions and things like that. Yeah, that that is kind of. In the end, what I end up doing, I, I pay attention to people I know, people in my circles who are, you know, thinking about getting a commission. And the um, part of my joke is like sometimes to get the commission, you need to shake down the friend who's been saying, ah, I've been thinking about getting something commissioned for like three months, but not actually like asking you. <laughs> it can be uncomfortable, but like I said, it's important. When I worked at the bank, uh, there was this sort of concept of cold calls, which are mm. just ick, but <laughs> sometimes you call someone and they do actually need something. Um, but like, how, how can you do this without feeling gross? I want to start with where that anxiety comes from. For me, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I, I have a very strong embarrassment reaction i don't like putting people in a place where i'm pressuring them or i'm expecting of them or just that they're uncomfortable in general and part of that is because that's how i feel when people sell things to me <laughs> i mm -hmm. don't like being advertised to or or having a thing pitched to me uh i am very aggressive about ad blocks and subscribing to things so that i don't ever have to see ads ever i'm not the average 
honestly, most people take ads in stride because they're all around us. There, there are ways that you can promote yourself and advertise yourself tastefully. And there are times and places you can do it. And there are strategies to, you know, doing it more, but not being an ass about it. But in order to reach those strategies, we need to be comfortable enough to give them a shot. Kimmy mentions, uh, did you know one time I tried to host a thing and I didn't remind anyone because I didn't want to nag them and then 90% of my friends forgot? Yeah, uh, that's a very similar situation to what can happen. Mm-hmm. The sort of core impetus of how I understand marketing, it's not about reaching out to the most people. Mm-hmm. It's about reaching out to the people who are going to be interested in your thing while avoiding people who aren't. It is kind of a, a truth, truth of averages that there is always going to be someone who wants to consume the thing that you make. Mm-hmm. The trick is going to be finding them. And yeah, I I also have that sort of fear of making people uncomfortable. I do have somewhat of a benefit of uh, at a certain point, I forgave advertisers and everything because most of the time uh, in the end, it all comes back down to people trying to make a living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I was able to kind of let go of some of my discomfort in doing it. Really what avoids me from feeling gross is reminding myself that, yeah, people do want my thing if I accidentally pitch to someone who doesn't want it oops wrong person wrong target and normally their day won't be impacted by it in fact most cases it's a scroll through you know it's not a yeah uh it's not a whole thing and i've actually realized like my own defense mechanisms against like making people uncomfortable have kind of come back around to bite me um definitely when i'm in public when i am in a place where i want to be talked to i come off as unapproachable because I'm putting up a friend of not being wanted, not wanting to be talked to because I feel like everyone else puts up that same front. It's a whole psychological mess. I actually don't ever want to be talked to. <laughs> it's actually pretty tough to be in that uh, well, in, in public because it's like I'm usually putting up that vibe because it's usually actually true. I like mm-hmm. being left alone. It's nice. It's quiet here. Unfortunately, I found I'll never beat people if I keep that front up. Yeah, same. <laughs> I like the notion uh, that there's an audience for everything. I do believe that I've made some very nice things and I just would like the people that like them to see them. It's certainly like part of the trouble of advertising right now in that advertising companies like, say, Google would like to sell a product, which is we will put your ad in front of the people that it is that would specifically like it so that your ad is the most effective. The problem is the way that they do that is by collecting as much information about everyone in the world as they can all the time, nonstop. And that's awful. (laughs) It makes for a great advertising product, but it's invasive. And part of the fallacy with that to begin with is you do still need to tell them who to target it at. You, You do have to put in like, oh, this is the type of people that would... Mm-hmm. That I'm that I'm trying to reach, which yeah. means you need to know your audience and know who's who's going to like your thing too. I, I've had some experience taking out ads and working with advertising things. Uh, unfortunately, my experience has been a little goes a long way, but any more than a little is a waste of money. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are people who've studied marketing who actually know the rules of marketing that can make better use of that sort of thing. Uh, I'm all ears. If anyone in the audience is, <laughs> you know could tell me how to to make an ad effective 
by all means, I'm I'm listening. But uh, lately, I've just been trying to, <laughs> if I have a couple bucks to spare, just like boost a post. And that when I've done that, I've made my money back yeah. almost uh, exclusively. Kimmy, aka K Penguin. Ask the question, is it worth trying to market your comic to people who don't typically read webcomics? I think it depends because everyone does have a first webcomic, obviously, or a first webcomic they thought about, you know. And there's also the case that, like, people might want to give your thing a shot because of something different about it. In the case that you're advertising your art to people that don't typically partake in that medium, you're kind of fighting the other battle. So one battle is, I'm not going to say battle, it's a little too aggressive, a challenge, I suppose. Challenge one is, hey, comic reader, my comic is good. And then one step past that to talk to people that aren't comic readers is, hey, person, did you know about comics? Try this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a different message. I, I wouldn't say that it's not worth it if you think about it as... Okay, the, who is who is my target audience? What people that don't know comics are good, and so you are you you put yours forward as well. You know, here's here's what comics are like. Here's this thing I make. So that makes you the representative of that medium, and uh, we are living in a media rich society where most people are used to the best of the best. So I would say that that's a challenging approach, but not a impossible one for me personally i haven't picked up a new medium because of an ad i've seen i've picked it up because i met someone interesting who does a thing Mm -hmm. or heard enough of my friends say hey you should check out this thing you don't normally check out yeah to that end like i think if you're looking at them on a macro scale you know putting non-comic readers into your target audience that might not necessarily be a a lucrative (laughs) choice but on the micro scale if you like meet someone who doesn't normally read web comics but you think they might actually like yours that's a different story i like thinking of it in terms of cost benefit where advertising to a bunch of comic readers or even a bunch of comic readers that that already enjoy your genre you can put a little bit of effort into a large number of people that have a high likelihood of saying oh a new one Mm -hmm. to go bigger and advertise to like people as a whole and say, yo, yo, check out this thing. You might like it. It's more effort for a much lower success hit rate. Mm -hmm. As in you, you need to go to lots more people to get only a couple more clicks. That's when you start wondering, okay, does my comic have broad like media appeal does it have like is is it going to hit like the most people and when you start asking questions about that as a creator you end up in the uh, the trap of well uh, there's what i want to create and there's what i think could sell Mm -hmm. now that doesn't go away just when you're you know when you're advertising to say uh you know fantasy comic readers because there's going to be the the tropes of the day that are of interest, and those tropes will ha- will have a higher likelihood of people clicking on them than works of art that don't have those tropes. But those change, you know, as we've talked about in in trend chasing, you know, those those tropes come and go. And if you have an idea, you should probably focus on it because you'll stick with it and create more stuff in the long run and and win the long game. 
Uh, Kimmy says, this is an interesting conversation. I've always wondered if I was limiting myself by fishing in a small pool by mostly advertising to other webcomic readers. I think I've mentioned the metaphor I heard from sort of the indie music scene of the the worrying that we're all just passing the same five dollars around. You've used that. You've used that joke a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's definitely a worry in webcomics as well. But like getting more people into the medium is more of a grand strategy of people who work in that medium rather than an individual. That's exactly what I was going to I was going to say, too, which is mm-hmm. like. That advertising budget is better spent by folks like Webtoon. Now, the downside of that is that now everyone that discovered webcomics because of an ad campaign by, you know, a a platform is now enamored with that platform. Mm -hmm. Pros and cons. It's actually got me thinking, you know, grand ambitious Kyle is now like, hmm. What is a strategy we could use to work together to get people into webcomics more as a whole rather than... Oh, I got thoughts on that. Just ours individually. (laughs) What do you think my next app is going to (laughs) be? That's not not the app I'm currently working on, but it's the one after that. I have a job that I need to do very soon. I mentioned the app that I've been working on. I've been been building my own uh, app for about six months. I'm reaching a point where if I want to keep working on it, it needs to be my job. So I am nearly complete with a prototype as of, I think I'm going to finish it tomorrow. I think I'm going to be code complete on a prototype tomorrow. I'm going to patent my app and then I'm going to announce it with the added message of, hey, would you like this app to exist? Please support me on Kofi. Mm-hmm. that message will be arriving soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think like uh, I'll start like right starting right now, people that are regular listeners to us and, and who hang out with us. Yeah, that I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing that soon. I have anxiety about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to keep my confidence up. I need to trust that, that I've got a business plan and that, I'm going to, yeah, chair says shill incoming, says K-Penguin. Mm-hmm. It feels different than promoting a comic. Promoting a comic is, promoting a creative work is a different challenge than creating something functional. Mm-hmm. The The app that I'm creating is, it's, 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 I, it, the app that I'm creating is sort of a gamification of a, of a problem that I think people need solved. <laughs> I'm being very, very vague right now because I haven't. I'm not ready to announce it yet. But it it is it is game like, but it is an app that I think people will find useful. So when I'm when I when it becomes shill o'clock, I'm going to be talking about it and say, "Hey, here's this thing. Here's what it does. If you think it's useful, please support me to so I can continue making it." That message is really concrete. It's really tangible. I am building a tool that solves this problem. Please support me. Mm -hmm. The reason why creative promotion is so much more difficult is because it has an emotional aspect on both sides. On the artist's side, it has the emotional aspect of people need to like it in order to read it, consume it, and support it. And on the receiving end side, they need to be lured in, I guess. They need to be given the idea, ooh, I might like that. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, 
we, we the artists, are like, well, we, I want people to consume it, but I also want them to support me. So we've got two steps we've got to get through, where it's first they've got to emotionally like it, emotionally be drawn in, and then they need to be engaged enough to support it financially. And in a world where people expect their media to be free and grumble when it comes with advertising or, or a subscription, that's tough. When, when you're promoting your own creative work, you're more inviting people to support you mm. because locking things behind a paywall, it can work, but you kind of already need the audience to do it. There's the sort of audience engagement pyramid, and you have to have audience pretty invested before they're willing to give you a dollar. And if they can't get involved in your thing at all until they've given you a dollar, it's harder and harder to get an audience. There is a comic book that is a is one of my go-to examples of this. Uh, I don't remember the artist's name off the top of my head. The comic's called To the Power Against. And it's about a young woman who's uh, who microwaves a burrito at the exact same time that a particle accelerator malfunctions. And her microwave explodes and leaves her with the power to do anything she wants as long as the thing she wants has precisely a one in 178 million chance of happening. <laughs> and so she starts to learn how to adjust the probability of things on a sliding scale until it hits that number. And then she can just make things spontaneously appear and so on and so forth. She's discovering these abilities as she like as just random weird shit just starts happening to her. But she's a mathematician by trade. And so that's how she figured out that there's this like very specific probability formula that is happening to her that gives her God powers, question mark? <laughs> it was not a webcomic in any way. You had to buy it, but it was a fully independent comic. I believe I got it at a convention. And uh, I mentioned before my, my first attempt at doing a, uh, a show, the, the YouTube, YouTube comic soup. I was one of the ones I talked about. And it was one of the ones that was like, even before I did the YouTube thing, I was trying to get people, hey, you should read this comic. Oh, where can I read it? You've got to buy it. Well, is that the comic shop? You got to go to their website. That sucks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So to promote yourself, you're going to need to make sure that your thing is easy. Accessible. Yeah, accessible. Whatever that means to you. So I'm not saying don't put your stuff behind a paywall. I'm not saying don't only sell the book. Comic books as as sort of like industry and and like and big indie like like Dark Horse or Image, they sell because they can distribute. So they're just super convenient to, oh, hey, what's that? Grab, which is how like mm -hmm. most of, of capitalist commerce works is ooh, neat, grab. Indies don't have that luxury. <laughs> we don't have those hubs of like bookstores and comic shops and and all that to to be in the places where people can grab them. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure I grabbed that one at a convention, which, by the way, great thing to do to get to, to self-promote. Honestly, that's a great way to get confidence in self-promoting because you go to the place where all the people are going to buy the stuff and they see yours and they're like, ooh, I like that. And they take it. Uh, I, uh, I am personally a fan of situations where people want to come talk to me mm -hmm. because that gets over the weird awkward uh feeling of <laughs> cold calling someone <laughs> is is there value in the cold call approach 
I think so, if only by virtue of you'd be surprised how many people know about your thing, are invested about your thing, but aren't paying attention enough to know when it is available mm. to pay for. Yeah. I always go back to the Jonathan Colton line. Uh, the best way to make money at at art is make good art and make it easy to pay for. Well, there's that, but it's a lot closer to, and this is going to feel, I guess, alarming to compare it to, but there's this uh, phenomenon uh, emergency responders have talked about that I've witnessed myself, which is when someone is having a medical emergency in front of you, mm-hmm. you don't say someone call a doctor. You point at one specific yeah. person and say, you call a doctor because otherwise everyone else is going to be too stunned to do anything or assume that someone more competent than themselves will uh will take care of the case yeah i remember i took first aid training a long time ago and they that was absolutely mm-hmm. part of the the bit and it t- kind of takes us back to where i started which is that person on on the twitters who was like oh yeah i, I make i make emotes do you want one mm-hmm. like i said like you 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 need to let someone know that Hey, they in particular want your thing. <laughs> Let them know that, hey, there's this thing here. It, it is an important thing to do. Now, like calling random people who you don't have a connection with already, that's a different story. But even at the bank, like it's all they don't just buy a list of random phone numbers. It's people they've had some connection to some like they've come into the bank before they've already come and asked about accounts, all that sort of stuff. Um like there, there's there's reason to believe that they might be interested in like to my extent, like I've more than once emailed people specific. I'm like, hey, you know, you mentioned you were kind of interested in something a few months ago. Commissions are open. Here's my rates. And that works a lot when I'm in need of commissions. I normally get at least a couple that way. I mentioned the Twitch emote artist at the at the start of the show. Is there a time when you've remembered an artist putting themselves out there that totally worked for you? I am a bad person to ask. Because I never have any money. Doesn't have to be monetary. Like, say, uh, someone's like, "Oh, hey, hey, read my comic. Hey, come to my show. Hey, look, let's, hey, art." Mm. Did someone's um, pitch? Did someone's like broad promotion of something totally get you? Weirdly enough, most of the web comics I've found were actually from Facebook ads. Mm. I would be on Facebook for some kind of business reason, usually setting up an event. Like, I say business reason, but yeah. It, Facebook was really good at event tracking for a while. Mm. And every once in a while, it's came through. And yes, there'd be an advertisement for a, well, I say an advertisement. It usually would just be pages of, oh, you know, nice standalone webcomic. Uh, we, there was one we went over in the uh, the comic shop once. It was um, like a, a mind flayer adopted a girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was really cute. Yeah, I found that on Facebook like years and years ah. ago. Um, and yeah, I started, you know, I found out where they had the comic and I just, archived i dove it because the pitch comics were were great um so that one did um many musicians uh a very common thing for me was i'd meet someone at a show and then i'd run into them somewhere else and be like hey i'm doing a show soon and i'm like neat and that's where i'd you know i'd find like my that. way to that show that sort of thing there was once there there was a uh, uh a comic creator's patreon page that was so good. I didn't care what they were making. They made their Patreon pitch so good. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll give you a few bucks as long as I could afford it. It's it's funny that I bring up this topic in this way because I could argue that the Kickstarter bit is me inviting people to to woo me like on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Where I dive into mm-hmm. Kickstarter and say, okay, okay, everyone, everyone that's making a comic book this week, show me what you got. 
I am I am here mm-hmm. to be to be lulled in. And uh, one of the things you said that worked on you is one of the things that like I've kind of distilled about what really works on me. I want to see a little of the art. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see the whole thing, but I need to see some comic panels. Mm-hmm. And in deciding which ones I bring to the bit and which ones I don't, it's not a universal, but it's I, I have sort of like a handful of red flags. And and mm-hmm. no, any one of them isn't itself like a disqualification. But when I when one of them when I get a red flag, I'm like, hmm, let me think about this one. And one of the big ones is you just didn't show me any of the art. Mm-hmm. You didn't show me any comic pages. Uh, you sh- or maybe you showed me like one cover piece, and then you just reuse that cover piece all through the 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 uh, the page. But you didn't show me any like actual comic pages. That's a big. That's a big uh, tick on the on the on the on the maybe the no side. I I highly recommend <laughs> that if you're putting your art out there, show some art. Show show the bit that you think is worth catching people's attention. People on the internet don't have a lot of attention span. They want the little quick things. And, uh, you know, I've, I've often lamented about how like being a long form comic artist has, has made it a little bit trickier because when I do a short form, single page derp gag shit post about a podcast, suddenly everyone's like, ha, that's great. And then it explodes. <laughs> but when I post, you know, individual pages of my comics, they're usually like one moment of a long story and it don't, it's not, it's not going to grab you unless you're already invested. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to put a little bit of yourself out there. Talking about the, uh, doing a, a comic for a podcast and that case in particular, and in general, like that's also piggybacking on another artist's already existing and engaged audience. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more to go off of. So it's it's doubly hard is what I'm saying to to get original work notice. Mm. I have been more and more focusing on making kind of wow pages in each um, issue I do of Of This Light. I, Would I you want a big be able to define a wow page. Um, it's going to be a dumb defi- definition, but it's a page that you look at on its own and go, wow. Money shot, Kimmy. Uh, Kimmy says, and yes, that's another word for it. It's this one's not done, but this is the oh, I like it. the wow page, the yeah. money shot of uh, this issue, um, and it's a two page spread of my characters in the mood that they will be in throughout most of the story. <laughs> uh, I'm going all out on the detail, yeah. and yeah, that sort of thing. That actually leads to something I've talked about, where comics can benefit a lot from an establishing shot where you show all the detail on one page and then simplify on the pages afterwards. Uh, Scott McCloud talked about this in, uh, in understanding comics where you don't have to show all the detail all the time. You get the one that shows you the detail and then everyone just fills it in after that. And then you can get pages Mm -hmm. on faster. So yeah, those are the pages that go like, Ooh, what's going on? How did old comics get your attention? They got their, your attention with Superman doing something so preposterous that you're like, Superman wouldn't do that. (laughs) Superman wouldn't stand between crawling hordes of regular citizens, like blocking them from getting to a fire hydrant. That's pouring out water saying nobody can drink a drop of water while everyone's begging, please Superman. We are all so thirsty. 
<laughs> what the fuck is Superman doing? Well, you buy the comic. I bet you're and wondering you how it. we got in this situation. Yes, yes, exactly. He had a weird, like, tendency to deny people water. <laughs> There's an entire issue where he's denying water to Aquaman. <laughs> but when you read those stories, they have an explanation, and he's still Superman at the end of the day. But the the hook is so preposterous that you're like, but what is I don't I <sighs> so I guess the lesson here that I'm trying to get to is is put a worm on the hook. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're gonna go fishing, put some bait in the trap. I don't I don't like this this idea that I'm trapping future readers. They say don't judge Burke by its cover, but covers were literally made big and bombastic to intrigue people uh same with titles same with pitches you know it's it's all it is important to find something about your story that can hook new people and if someone is inclined to like something of yours putting what it's you know putting its vibe up front is important the reason why don't judge a book by its cover is a euphemism that we all remember is because everyone always judges every book by its cover yep it is good advice not to judge a book by its cover. But maybe have a good cover anyways. <laughs> but people judge books by their cover. Uh -huh. All the time. I love the frame around a painting. A painting can be very nice. I love going to art galleries and seeing paintings. It's fun. The frame around it is part of it. If you just hang the canvas on the wall, that is a statement. If you put the, the canvas in a very nice frame, that is also a statement. Shining it up, polishing it up, putting the best one in the best frame makes it draw attention. It, it makes it seem like, oh, this is worth my eye attention. Is this making me feel more confident about self-promoting? Actually, a little, yeah. <laughs> Good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's... Do you know what it is? You know why this is this is helping me specifically? And it's kind of what I what I came here today to do is because we had the topic on the list and I was like, ooh, ooh, Kyle, Kyle's going to have to Kyle's going to have to educate me because <laughs> I'm the problem here. Having a plan and kind of like knowing how not to just take random shots. That gives me some structure to it. That gives me like mm -hmm. a, a sense of. Uh, oh, hey, yeah, no, it's, it's not hopeless. It's not impossible. You just d don't don't do it poorly. Don't waste a bunch mm -hmm. of energy on something that's probably only going to have a small effect. That is. Uh, yes, <laughs> because like, we've talked about this, like I, the, the times I've, I've tried to do big sweeping, put every dollar I can afford into a, an ad campaign thing that hasn't paid mm. off. It's paid off as like. You know, thinking about the right time for things, putting in a couple dollars and sometimes I get, you know, someone that, you know, buys something for that much, you know, that kind of thing. So here's an interesting confidence problem I have mm -hmm. with it. Uh, I've been hemming and hawing about setting up a proper mailing list mm. for like a whole year. Yeah. And my confidence is not my, my confidence problem is not about annoying people with emails because I've signed up for a billion emailing lists. Uh, it's voluntary. I ignore most of them. Yeah. And don't care when I get one, um, as long as it's something I personally tried, you know, actually yeah, meant to if, sign up for. That's really the thing. If, if it's just if you opted in, then where's the harm? Yeah. yeah, my lack of confidence is my worry. I won't be able to keep up with it adequately once I start. That is reasonable. 
yeah, I'm not really sure I have a solution to that, but it's kind of, I, like I mentioned earlier, I handle social media like many things manic depressively. Mm. I'm either doing it all the time or not at all. And I'm like worried that, yeah, goes, okay, I'll start this mailing list and everyone will get six emails and then nothing for a year and a half. And then, you know, a bunch of emails again, they'll be like, who's this guy? Yeah, it goes right back to my, uh, my issue with, uh, with doing things consistently. I would say that for mailing lists specifically, I wouldn't even mm. worry about that because, because it's opt in. Then when people do see it, they'll be like, Ooh, Hey, it's, it's news from that thing. And they can let it slip mm-hmm. out of their mind. It, and, and then when they see the thing, they can be like, Ooh, news from that thing. In fact, I would honestly say that's better. That's a better way to do it rather than feeling like you have to post once a month uh, or, mm-hmm. or on a regular basis for, for, for specifically for that mm-hmm. social media, a little bit more, a little bit different because in social media, you want to just always be on, you want to always like your whatever it is that you are you've got going on. You want it to be like out on the platform to to be found. Ultimately, I feel like this anxiety is something that's come from social media. When like kind of the whole point of doing a mailing list is to start trying to get myself untethered from it, yeah. or at least untethered's not really the right word, but less reliant upon. Yeah, because um, there's anything the last year has taught us that we can't necessarily trust these social media platforms to be around forever. <laughs> The winds are shifting. I think that's a good place to wrap up the topic. Yeah, I'm good. I do have uh, one last funny story uh, to leave off of. Uh, Recent commission I'm working on now. The client in question had it's kind of why I was bringing up this whole idea of like, okay, you know, someone who said, oh, yeah, I kind of thinking about getting something commissioned. It was someone who had been. You know, like it mentioned a few months ago that, that they were interested in something. And I was literally that day drafting up an email to this person being like, hey, you mentioned you were interested in drawing something. Uh, I'm open for commissions and, uh, you know, uh, need some work. So I was just following up if you still wanted to do that. And before I can finish drafting the email, I get a text message from them saying, hey, are your commissions open? Nice. <laughs> so it, it was a case of like. It was very like if they had just not gotten around to texting me that day, then to a certain extent, that email might have come as a relief (laughs) because I happen to know that reaching out is as difficult for them as it is for me. (laughs) So, yeah. Can you take us out, please? Yeah. Self-promotion's hard, but remember, there is someone out there who wants to read your thing and uh, try and... Think about that uh, rather than worrying about the people who don't want to read your thing. You're, you're, you're trying to get you're, you're trying to get it in front of someone who wants who wants it. Promotion probably won't kill you. <laughs> you, you probably, <laughs> probably won't die. Won't. You probably won't die. Today is November 9th, 2023, and I'm going to talk about some comics on Kickstarter because I want them to do well. Uh, I'm Jer. With me is Kyle. Hello. And the first one I found is High Gray by Charlie Kinney, a cat who, in coming to understand his power and place in his world, began to explore how far that can extend. In seeking out that, uh, seeking out the knowledge in the stories of other cats and trying to understand their needs, he snags a claw into a deeper perspective and attempts something at the edge of his abilities, trying to make a change for the better. That's a kitty. That's a kid cat. It's I seize it. It's it's a kitty. Uh, his name is High Gray. He is a gray kitty cat. He is on an adventure, and uh, we're looking at 
some incredible scenery and a fairly uh like cartoonish cartoonishly realistic if that makes any sense it's it's like a cat shape but just simple details enough to get the idea that like hey this that's a cat he's got personality he's expressing he's emoting he's moving and i think like most of his personality is in his movements and and seeing this this cat shape explore the world jumping around walking on on rooftops uh the scenery is spot on we're looking at like lots of uh sandy yellows and earthy greens making this like desert like desert like setting seems like a city or town in a in a desert environment people are all in the distance everything is like a cat's eye view of the world other people other cats the paths that you see in front of you are across rooftops as opposed to on the sidewalk the sidewalk looks completely untraversable because it's covered with people so they're just really giving this cool perspective of a cat on an adventure. How are we doing on this one? Not too big of a goal. We're looking for uh, a little over uh, 1,200 uh, translated into dollars from British pounds. A couple hundred, about uh, $350 from nine backers. So it looks like it needs some attention, needs some love. Just it, that would not take that many people to, 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 get this, uh, to get this out there. So yay, go check that one out. My next recommendation has very little written about it. It's just a really quick uh, really quick tagline. 12-year-old Will Thompson. Oh, wait, I need to say the name of it. This is called Spirits, the Soul Collector by uh, Colin Lore and Joe uh, Grabowski. 12-year-old Will Thompson is learning to see the spirits around us in order to find and rescue his younger brother's stolen soul. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough task. This is a story told in... Like in in shape, I would call this like traditional American cartoony, kind of like a caricature style. Like the way that people emote is kind of the way that if you if you go to like a a, a fair and the, you've got the caricature stand, like they kind of like have like the that that set of like really big emotions and and kind of like like more face than a face really need than a face really needs. <laughs> If that makes sense. Kind of reminds mm -hmm. me of uh, Judd Winnick. Uh, if you ever read any of his comics, uh, Adventures of Barry Ween was one of my, uh, one of my formative indie comics. Really got a talent for making monsters. Like we got some, some of the creatures in this thing are completely like friendly and whimsical. Some of them are that really particular kind of anime scary where it just like the, the, the big creature with, with the, with the anime shape and the skull for a face and, and, like the, this person is a is a ghostly creature made out of triangles and a bird head, <laughs> and it's fighting something with with black grasping vines and and tentacles in the shadows or something. Like that's that's the kind of monsters that we're looking at. But then we get these characters, and it's just this friendly little guy. He's just a little guy. He's, <laughs> he's just a little guy. This one has met its goal. It was only looking. It was looking for uh, three thousand, and it's made thirty five. 3,500 with uh, 56 backers and still a month to go. So that's a good job. They got that one out there. Oh, this is the second part. So we already got one. This is the second chapter. Awesome. Last one I've got is a webtoon that just got wrapped up and it's getting printed. This is Prom, Death, and Boba by Jessica Stanley. <laughs> now, I'm going to critique this just a little bit. Uh, critique, not the comic, but the, but the Kickstarter. 
Mm-hmm. Nowhere on the page do they give me a synopsis of the comic. <laughs> Please. Always give me a synopsis of the comic. Uh, the artist talked a lot about herself and talked a lot about like being on Webtoon. Uh, and and I think like was expecting, oh yeah, well, I've been on Webtoon forever, so uh, everyone already knows it. I don't know it. I don't go to Webtoon. But I did go to Webtoon for this because mm-hmm. I, I thought it would look charming, so I wanted to know what it was about. So I wrote up, this is this is actually rare. Usually when I do the the, the description, I'm, I'm quoting what people wrote in their synopsis. So this is my own description of what's going on here. Celia Alley is a 16-year-old girl suffering from cystic fibrosis. The Grim Reaper, who is currently also a teenage girl, comes to collect Celia, but they start talking about their shared taste in music and a concert that neither of them could make it to tonight. Breaking the rules just a little, a little, uh, the Reaper takes the day off of work so the two can go to the concert, and they become good friends. Does being best friends with the Grim Reaper mean you get to live forever? I hope not. Well, I mean, you can say, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> you, I mean, you can, honestly, that's the best deal because you can live for as long as you want. You know, the, the, the kind of immortality where you're trapped in life, that's, that's the bad one. But the kind of immortality where it's like, no, I've got, I've got agency over my existence. Yeah, that's, that sounds, that's all right. That's pretty cool. Um, the art is like just charming webcomic style really cute characters it's these two teen girls on the, on an adventure one of them is the grim reaper she's got pink hair uh they go to concerts they go they, they hang out they, they like there's a scene where they like just are dancing around the the girl's room after she like gets over a, a wheezing fit uh one point in this one that you'd like especially Kyle is that when Celia realizes the grim reaper is here uh, and she's like wheezing into a, into like a, a respirator. She's basically just like, I was expecting you. And it's just something <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of like that. You're like your flavor of, of cute melancholy. It was like, yeah, that's, that's sweet. Uh, it's yeah, mostly single tones of pinks and blacks and occasional cyan for highlights. Just a fun slice of life adventure. It's, it's just charming. It was charming enough that like, even though I, I had to do a little bit of extra work to to put it on the on the show. I I uh, I did that work because it's it's just the cutest. Uh, only looking for two K, two thousand U S dollars and eight backers, uh, three hundred fifty bucks. So um, good start. Still just the first day. We've got a whole month to go. But yeah, I think they could use some attention too. That's the comic shop for this week. Kyle, where can people find links? There'll be links in the show notes as well as on your website, which is jer.art. Just click on Jer's crowdfunded comic shop and you'll find links to these and all the comics to talk about on the show. Also, I read a book. What did you read? I read Lost Souls, The Trial of Kasky Capricorn. I'm actually not sure how to pronounce her name. I've been calling it Cassie all this time, but it's, pr- it's spelled C-A-S-C-I. I'll go with Kasky. That's just a little bit more exotic. Uh, this was one of the earliest comics I talked about on the Kickstarter bit. This is a story of a, a young a young lady, a princess, who got assassinated for political reasons and wakes up in the afterlife. Kyle, how do you feel about afterlife stories in, in fiction? I enjoy them assuming they actually involve the afterlife i can confirm this is definitely the afterlife kasky is is definitely dead and this is a interesting afterlife okay um it 
is not the living world. That is for absolute sure. But it is a world and it's got rules. And this is kind of Caskey's adventures of defining, uh, learning the rules of this of this new afterlife-ish world reflecting upon like her life which was quite short she was you know a, a, a think a young teenager when she died and meeting people and trying to define herself which really seems to be the theme of the book is figuring out who you are and what who you are in in like a very changing well, obviously like perhaps the most ultimate change <laughs> from alive to dead who you were when you were alive and who you are after your life is in the past tense. The art is, uh, it's not Toriyama esque, but they definitely read some Toriyama. I wouldn't say it's actually manga style though. I would say it's definitely got a more Western feel. But every once in a while, there's like the way that this this character is like doing powerful things that affect mountains. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that's some Dragon Ball. <laughs> but it's not really an action story. It's really mostly a drama. And so the story is told very much with uh, Kasky's face and how she's feeling, what she's saying, what she's struggling with. It's it's the changes in her face and the way that her emotions are drawn that is telling the story and guiding us through this. The scenery is absolutely otherworldly. I'm looking at a page right now with a pink sky painted in watercolors and spheres in the sky that could be planets or bubbles. It's really kind of hard to tell. And instead of SARS, there's just sort of like flower textures up in the air in the distance. It's remarkably unearthly. And so there's Earth-like things. There's uh you know beautifully rendered trees and grass like crumbling cities and bricks uh desks with paperwork and candlelight for people to pour over a, a table upon which you can share a cup of tea do you remember the end of dark souls 3 kyle where like everything kind of like was falling apart and being pulled together into like that nexus mm -hmm. that's kind of what the afterlife looks like here where it's it's got earth it's it's made out of earth like earth like legos but they didn't follow the instructions. <laughs> they went off the rails and made this bizarre other world that's made up of Earth parts, but it's definitely not Earth. Really, really, really beautiful comic. Really sad. I don't think I've loaned this to you. Nope. Yeah, you sh I, sh I should probably loan it to you, Mr. Melancholy. <laughs> I, think, I think you might really like it. And yeah, and occasionally... Okay, wait, hang on. I just... Hang on, look at this page right now. That's, that's Mecha Cell. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about how maybe they'd seen some Dragon Ball that that might that that one monster right there might have been it might have been inspired by a very specific monster in Dragon Ball. Let's let's be honest about ourselves. But now it's it's definitely done in tribute. <laughs> it's definitely done in, in joke form. So Lost Souls, uh, The Trials of Kaski Capricorn is drawn by uh, Daverna and Daly. And the best place to get more information about it is actually uh, Sean Daly's Patreon page. So if you go to patreon.com slash Sean Daly, S-H-A-W-N-D-A-L-E-Y, you can subscribe to his uh, his Patreon and uh, get access to the comics that he has drawn. Uh, De uh, Deverna was the uh, the writer. 
So let's see. Easton Daverna. Yep, that's my recommendation this week. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Following up on last week uh, where I was complaining about my pipeline, now that I'm finally at a point where I'm finishing pages, I finished two pages in one day and like, oh my god. Yee! <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I the, the completion adequately, joy. Yeah, I, I cannot adequately describe the the release I felt um, <laughs> from that. It's so I don't think this number is accurate anymore, but for a long time, I kind of have uh, attributed a page of OTL as eight hours work. Mm. Um, That is to say, I think if, you know, the stars were aligned and I was in a good spot mentally and in the zone, I could finish an OTL page in about eight hours. Um, Could would those eight hours need to be in separate days or could you finish a page in a standard American work week or work day? I certainly used to be able to. Gotcha. Um, Like I said, I'm not quite sure that number is accurate anymore. If I had to guess, it's probably closer to 10 or 12 hours right now. But it's also kind of hard to tell if that is because of the workload of the page or just my current pipeline is really that bad mm. um oh honestly we're including the current pipeline like i i mentioned that i need to be in the zone and the stars need to be aligned and those things never happened with this pipeline <laughs> yeah but uh all this is to say when in four hours in like a half day i finished two pages <laughs> it felt like i got 16 hours of work done in four ah. hours <laughs> that was uh my my dopamine receptors like <laughs> got jolted properly from that. Don't don't think it's worth it. <laughs> it's so similar to what I've had to deal with because um like building an app, I what what having it at prototype is going to mean is it's the machine works. The gears mm-hmm. are turning. And so now other things that I do can be a piece of a, a piece of functional code. Uh, the the industry term that uh, I most recently used is a feature. You add a feature mm-hmm. to the software. So now I can say, all right, my next task is to add this feature, and that's a discrete beginning and end. Whereas right now, nothing works. So I got to get it to prototype to the point where anything works. Mm-hmm. Now it did like emerge into a working thing slowly, but uh, it wasn't until I reached a point uh, again. An industry buzzword here would be end to end, meaning you can start the thing and finish the thing. And so, in my case, that means uh, creating an account. End to end means you start creating an account and you end at I have an account. And then gameplay end to end means I start playing the game, complete the entire game loop, and then end the game and can continue with into whatever I do next. It works end to end. Mm-hmm. It actually completely works end to end. Both like you can, the account system and the game system are actually functional. So now I can say, I'm going to add this feature and that's not six months of work. That's three or four weeks of work, which means like yourself, 
I'm going to be closer to like starting and finishing a page at a time mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with my project. Oof. <sighs> but yeah, it's been, it's been six months of, I haven't even finished one page and now I have a book. Well, I'm glad you're almost at the finish line of, of or I guess that particular finish line anyways. A finish line. I, I would call it, I would call it base camp to Mount Everest mm-hmm. where it's, it's not, climbing the mountain just yet but getting to base camp was a fucking trek Mm -hmm. and now i'm ready to start climbing did you see the trailer for live action avatar last airbender i did not looks fine it it looks it looks like it was made by people that actually watched the cartoon Mm -hmm. iroh looks good the I, i like i like the casting for iroh he looks pretty cool Zuko looks like Zuko. Honestly, the characters look like themselves. They got they did good casting. Good, good. Um, I don't care yet. Cause like Avatar is the kind of thing where why would you remake it at all? The original is perfect. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it. There's one thing that because I feel like right now uh, my maximum opinion of it could be like, yeah, that's fine. Like we're starting at baseline and if they make no mistakes, we will end at baseline. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not excited about it. I don't care about it. The thing that will make me actually go above baseline, the thing that I feel like a live action avatar last airbender could actually add is some dope fight choreography. Mm-hmm. If the fight scenes are like really good and the martial arts is really good, which I think they're actually capable of doing, then I might actually like this. Mm-hmm. These days, I tend to look at the best thing something like this can do is make it more accessible to a new audience. Yeah, there's that. In fact, it's kind of solving the um, the problem we were mentioning before of like, how do we get more people who don't normally read webcomics to read webcomics? Yeah. I've still not seen the One Piece live action. Yeah. But I can't deny that it has had that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, people more who, people care about One Piece because of it. Yeah. More, uh, people have checked out the anime or the manga because of it, too. Yeah. So to that end, I can definitely say, like, okay, you know what? Yeah, that might be worth something. I am not near as connected to the avatar property as a lot of people i know so i guess i'm like i'm not really super gonna keep an eye on it i i do hope it's good because i do know how um important that property is to a lot of people uh but i'm, I'm probably not really gonna look into it either way <laughs> my nick my online nickname is my online nickname is literally iroh <laughs> yeah <laughs> I want to be Iroh when I grow up. Yeah, I hope it's good. I imagine um, the uh, Avatar fandom is... uh, Tired? Well, I was going to say on a bit more edge by virtue of you've already had a live-action Avatar adaptation and it was horrible. (laughs) I never watched that movie. (laughs) The fandom is wary, says Codigan. Yeah. Uh, From what I've heard, that's the right decision. But yeah, I, I hope it's good. Are you a fan of Silent Hill? Only in such that I played two and it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what that's what uh, being a Silent Hill fan means. 
as a Star Wars fan, yes, think that as a fan, you can still like the trash parts of uh, a franchise. I'd argue that's part of it. <laughs> I have honestly only played Silent Hill 2 because I didn't feel like I needed more. Mm. I wanted to play 3, but it just never happened. Mm. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, you familiar with the video game uh, Dead by Daylight? Yes. Do you or any of your crew play it? I don't play it. Uh, Loopy Fritz or Actually, I don't think Loopy Fritz does. Loopy Fritz watches a lot of people play it. Got it. Um, yeah, that's a game that like I know I have like no interest in personally, but I respect the shit out of it. I think that's a fascinating mm-hmm. game design, and I like it's like a little engine that could the way that they just get like licensing deals. Right. And it's like, Oh, Hey, you do you want to put our actual real licensed uh, IP monster in there? Yes, please. I would like to do that. (laughs) I consider it the only time that like pyramid head could exist outside of silent Hill two That didn't make me just feel all barfy. Oh, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that's got some fun, like Magnus archives esque lore of like, Oh yeah, no, this is this is the final season of the Magnus Archives that's happening right now. <laughs> Wait, which was? In Dead by Daylight. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, no, I can I, see that. Uh, so so it kind of like to a certain uh, like I as a meta commentary yeah. kind of makes sense that every horror villain ever it, it's the, the It's the Nexus. Yeah. They it's, no, it's, they they created the uh the the the, the suffering Nexus. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, I'd say it's like Dead by Daylight is this particular pocket of the Magnus Archives apocalypse ruled by the hunt where just every horror movie villain and or archetype uh, is just constantly hunting, uh, hunting down preteens forever. <laughs> I say preteens, teens forever. It's not even I mean, uh, Bill from Left for Dead is in there. He's an old man <laughs> like me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, I love that series. I love that it exists. It is absolutely not for me, but I think it is the coolest. And I bring it up because uh, they just added Chucky, the mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. killer cabbage patch doll from Child Play, who is possessed mm-hmm. by a serial killer with literal voodoo. The kind of voodoo what makes the dolls hurt you. Voodoo? Voodoo. <laughs> Do what? Right, we have the babe. There we go. Anyways. We did it! <laughs> um... Oh, Jared's so hot. Um, so Chucky never scared me. I never really was much of a of a horror movie fan. I didn't. I, I kind of like enjoyed them vicariously through my friends. I wasn't really interested. I think the the my my main formative like scary movie uh, was on my thirteenth birthday. I went to go see Arachnophobia because I'm I'm thirteen now. I can get into a PG thirteen movie like like a big strong man, and that gave me a good sort of like uh, okay i know what a scary movie is and um yeah spiders are fine (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah and it's just it was my it was my my strong teenage bravery moment i'm gonna go watch a scary ass movie because i'm not a child anymore so yeah I, i got it i got what the genre was and i just wasn't really interested in it but then i had my friends just tell me about all the horror movies so i know about uh jason and freddy and and uh and chucky and all that I didn't know the plot of of the first child play movie uh, or child's play. I'm not sure what it is, but and it's Chucky. He's he's he is like a legally distinct Cabbage Patch doll that kills you with a knife. So he was a serial killer that like uh, got shot 
to with were killed in a factory by cops and and as he's dying he like did a voodoo curse to put himself into one of the dolls in the factory and then the doll just was a voodoo an animated voodoo doll that was just like i'm going to go do some shit and so he's it's actually mainly he wanted like uh um like revenge on some people that snitched him and 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 whatnot and the cop that like killed him but he, it this involves like the kid that bought the toy and it is a fucked up story and like it it culminates in like the 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 doll trying to kill the kid and then later trying to possess the kid because the doll like the doll curse isn't going to last forever and so you need to like like use voodoo to put yourself out of the doll into like the first person you told your secret to which was the kid so like he has to basically just like take over the kid's body and become the kid and like the kid is like able to understand that this is what's going on and is traumatized and freaked out about it. And uh, some people die. It's not a really happy ending. And that's, and they destroy the doll. They like super fucking like torch the doll and they win, but with damage. And I was like, yeah, that's a good horror story. Do you know what happens to every horror, every recognizable horror monster after the first movie? Um, I believe the technical term is they get shark jumped. Shark jumped is a good one. So jumping the shark refers to happy days where uh, uh, they they literally jumped the bike over the shark because they ran out of ideas about like these kids hanging out. <laughs> and and it was like, what is this show even about right now? What makes the monster scary is not understanding it. Oh, God, there's a doll. That murders you. Mm hmm. A lot of what like happens in in child's play is like a new person arrives to the situation and everyone's trying to explain to them there's a cabbage patch doll with a knife and it's going to kill you and they react the way a person would react to someone saying that which is are you on drugs what the fuck are you talking about oh god oh shit no that's actually a cabbage patch doll with a knife that's coming to kill me and everyone freaks out the way that you would if they were in that situation and everyone doesn't believe it the way that you wouldn't if you were in that situation when you make a sequel to that the mystery's gone oh there's the monster we know how it works he's gonna do the thing it becomes a comedy Mm -hmm. every single horror franchise becomes a comedy because you understand the creature now. Now it's funny. Now it's about, oh, do the bit. You murder them with a knife because you're, you're, you're a Cabbage Patch doll. I love calling him a Cabbage Patch doll because that's not what he is, but it super is what, it, what he is. <laughs> mm -hmm. then, we got, then we got Pyramid Head, mm -hmm. who only appeared in the one game and was like, he was expressly like designed to be in that game with that person and it doesn't make any sense for him to exist anywhere else but he's the one we like though so we gotta show up again and i guess it's just it's just like no it's 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 gonna be this every time this is what this is what this is the this is the um this is the arc of the of the monster oh he, he he's we there we all recognize him so we want to see him again well here he is <laughs> we want to see him do the thing oh, look he did the thing but I like it when they show up in Dead by Daylight because that's just that's just an actual tribute so that put me on a train of something I want to talk about but I have to be a little bit brief about it okay first off spoiler warning for Attack on Titan because that the anime finally 
finally um finally part three ended if if your <laughs> if your co-host was actually interested in seeing it from scratch un unfazed would this be a good topic to broach right now huh i would i am halfway through season one i haven't had time to watch anymore but i would actually like to watch it mostly blind okay. um i know a couple of season one things and that's it well, I will avoid saying what I was just about to. Great. Okay. But what I, I there is one thing I do still want to say. Mm -hmm. um, by virtue of you've probably been around some of these conversations, there's always been a bit of a worry that Attack on Titan is a little fascist. After now fully eating the entire <laughs> meal series. Yes. Yes. It's definitely not. Mm -hmm. However, I definitely can see how someone with anything less than high media literacy might come to that conclusion. We were talking, you know, last week about writing darkly mm -hmm. and something we didn't quite touch upon. But like when you write a story about particular themes, you need to include the things those themes are facing into your story. Mm -hmm. And Attack on Titan is definitely one of those mm. it is about fascism and the dangers of it and how easy it can be to fall into that mindset i see and yeah i it, it's i i think the messaging is is pretty clear but it's also like not said outright which is kind of a thing that like no one ever looks out the window and goes and today's lesson was that fascism was wrong. <laughs> it, it's all in the consequences and everything and what happens to the world. And I guess I can't fault I can't fault people for coming to that conclusion, particularly at certain points in the story, very, you know, bleak parts in the story. Mm. But I'm, I'm comfortable saying, yes, no, this was an anti-fascist story all along and actually very clearly so. But yeah, no, that was a... That was a, uh, a that was a series that happened. It is one of the series of all time. It was one of the series of all time. Was it and good? I do think it, I think so. Um, the the ending was not the best part of it. Mm. Um, I'd say the ending was maybe a six and a half, uh, but it did accomplish what I would consider is minimum for a ending to be acceptable, let alone enjoyable, which is that it did not betray what came before. I can respect that. Yeah, and it was fine. It would have been the ending would have been better if they hadn't chopped the last season into like four parts and mm. split them all like <laughs> Are you familiar with how they did this? They called it the final season, but that final season was in two cores and then uh the last what would normally be I'd say probably four to six episodes of content was split into two movies that were released six months apart Shut after up. all of it. Shut up, go fuck yourself. That's yeah, it, it shut it up was that was that that way of distribution did actually butcher it. <laughs> I, but, uh, I will give a pass to that shit if you make two seasons of your of your cartoon show and Disney says we're canceling that shit. It's too gay. And and you say, OK, but give us like a movie or two to at least finish the fucking plot line. And Disney says, mm -hmm. fine fine whatever you can you can have mm -hmm. season three of Al house which i need to watch i love Al house and i haven't sat down to watch the actual like end of the story 
Um, to be fair, like the movies weren't like an extra charge or anything. Yeah. It just was that's just how it was released. And the the last chunk of the story really would have fit better if you were coming hot off the heels of got it. What had come before. I understand. Um, also, you probably already know this, but well, that really was just a mecha anime. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the things that I already knew. Kyle, could you give us an outro? Self-promotion is hard, and it'll probably always be hard. But remember, your story is something people want to read. You just have to get in front of the people who want to read it. So if you have something to draw, draw it. You probably won't die. <laughs>